Hello and a very warm welcome to a new episode of World Build, brought to you by World Architecture News from Alison and Nav. In today's episode, we speak to Ton Benhoeven about what constitutes a microcity, how they create self-sustaining communities, and the role the circular economy plays. Ton is the founder of Benhoeven CS Architecture and Urbanism, and a former chief government advisor on infrastructure to the Dutch government, during which he advised on sustainability of infrastructural, urban, and regional planning. A core belief of Benhoeven CS is that Metropolitan regions can be inclusive and self-sufficient through adopting a circular economy, providing a healthy and sustainable alternative to the negative aspects of globalisation. Thanks for joining us today, Tom. To begin with, could you define a 15-minute city? And is this the same as a micro-city? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, the 15-minute city is basically a city where you can walk or cycle within 15 minutes to everything you need, like uh, not only to the doctor or to a uh, where you can buy your food, but also to your job, to your friends, to your park, to your farm, whatever it is. It's an idea about uh, life beyond being dependent on cars. And how do they enable people to live in a more self-sufficient way? Well, to be more self-sufficient, the idea of globalization is that we get our stuff from everywhere, wherever it comes from, whether it's from part of the city or from uh, China or from you name it. Uh, and transportation is, seems to be something we don't look at. And transportation is actually uh, responsible for about 30% of all CO2 emissions. And it consumes a lot of space in the in the cities. Children cannot play in the street because of the cars. Rainwater cannot infiltrate in the soil. That's a whole lot of arguments why we should look at uh, transportation first when we start thinking about uh, self-sufficiency or sustainable urban planning. And if you bring elements closer to each other, it's also possible to, for example, reuse heat. If you have leftover heat, you cannot transport it over long distances because then you lose the heat. Also, if you have some other stuff that might represent a certain value, if you transport it over too long long distances, it loses that value because of the cost of transportation. The circular economy depends on short distances and proximity. And with the circular economy and self-sufficiency, how do these then create more sustainable environments? Because we can dramatically reduce waste, we can reuse all kinds of materials. And that also means that uh, the embodied energy that is in all the products that we use, whether it's a building or clothes or uh, whatsoever, the embodied energy, if you only use it once or a short period of time and then throw it away, it's extremely damaging to our environment. And in your opinion, what do you consider to be the most important elements and amenities to include in a micro city? Uh, well, of course, the first thing is uh, is energy. Energy is uh, something, if everybody uses energy from a power plant, then you have this central place where everything comes from. You have a lot of transportation. You lose 
a lot of energy along the way before it gets to the consumer. Whereas if you think of a neighborhood, which we call the neighborhood 2.0 or micro city, can be like a neighborhood of one square kilometer that generates its own energy and stores its own energy with batteries and redistributes its own energy. That way, it can also develop a sustainable business case where people not only consume energy, but also produce energy. So that's a, that's a very basic first element. Uh, the second is, uh, I think, rainwater. We live in cities that have centralized water management systems, which means that uh, there are lots of uh, pumps and canals and waterways that transport rainwater through the city and then to the larger rivers and then to the sea. But uh, we can actually create water management systems that can deal with all rainwater and groundwater within the neighborhood itself or uh, within short, short walking distances. Then food is also very important. We think that to really create a circular economy within a neighborhood, it would be good to create urban farms, real farms with cows, with, uh, with cattle, but also for growing food that can be indoor with LED systems. Uh, lighting can also be outdoor partially, but it's very easy to produce the food for a neighborhood within the neighborhood itself. And that reduces a lot of uh, transportation, storage, cooling. And also you can use the urban waste like from food, from all kinds of uh, flows that are in the city. If you use them to feed the, the cattle, uh, then you can create a circular economy at uh, the neighborhood level. And this morning I was talking to a guy who started a floating farm in the city of Rotterdam and he has 40 cows. And he explained to me how those 40 cows can generate income for the farmer, how it can be totally self-sustaining and how the money is made uh, within that farm. And building on that, what about leisure activities, something for kids to do in the summer holidays like bowling or going to the cinema? Are they important to include or is that something that people would travel further out for? It's absolutely crucial to understand uh, what I'm saying correctly. I absolutely do not intend to forbid people to travel further, to go to some nice place where you have uh, fantastic games, etc. It's more that I think the neighborhood 15-minute city aims to reduce the need for travel. So if you have your pocket park uh, next door, if you have your larger park within your neighborhood, then there are so many things that you can do and also if you have the sports facilities and the education, there are so many things that you can use in multiple ways within your neighborhood. Also, neighborhood life becomes much more attractive. And given that the UN projects 68% of the world's population will live in cities by 2050, do you think there's a chance these cities will become overcrowded? No, absolutely not. No, I think it's a big opportunity given all the uh, challenges we have to turn our economy into a circular economy, to become uh, CO2 neutral in 2050 or preferably sooner. Uh, there are so many big challenges. I think this move to cities for many people creates lots and lots of opportunities within the cities to create more attractive cities, more livable cities, but also to improve the countryside. Uh, 
because I think we can also bring agriculture to the cities, which means that we can rewild the uh, former agricultural lands, and uh, that's very important. I just want to take it back a stage. How realistic do you think the sort of aspirations are? Are there cities that actually follow this pattern of very admirable options of keeping the energy within the community and making sure the rain is put to good use, keeping the food local. But is it actually happening anywhere in the world? Yeah, all of these elements that I mentioned are happening somewhere in the world. And some of the cities that we know, some very uh, famous cities like Barcelona, Paris, Amsterdam, they are really working on realizing these kind of ideas. Uh, maybe they don't call it a micro city, but Barcelona calls it the super block. Paris calls it the 15 minute city. Uh, every city maybe invents its own name. But uh, the ambition, uh, I've, I've been speaking to people they are in Amsterdam and they are very consciously uh, looking for ways to remove trucks from the road. And then they come up with ideas like, uh, why do we bring all the waste to one central incinerator? It's not very good. There are lots of uh, CO2 emissions and uh, also the remaining value of uh, uh, incineration only takes a certain element out of that waste, but uh, you can do much more with those waste flows. That's really positive to hear. Do you have any examples and perhaps something that can be done relatively easily to convert a certain area of the city into more of a 15-minute city? And I'm thinking here of London. Things are close together at the city's core, but once you get outside that area, it's far more sprawled and less intense in density. So what could a planner or an architect do to try and refit or bring the microcity concept into a current arrangement? It's always uh, difficult to talk about the uh, city centre, for example, London or Paris or Amsterdam, because there was so much focus on revitalising the centers of these big cities in the past 20 years with heritage buildings that were uh, improved, etc. The flip side of that is that at the moment, these centers are more tourist centers. So part of this economy, which is not sustainable. And what you see is that in Amsterdam, for example, the city center, there are actually very few people living there because uh, there are many hotels or people who live there they have so much money they uh, they own like two canal houses at the same time with a big garden so the city center is more like a, a very difficult area. But if you look at metropolitan region or the metropolitan region of Amsterdam, there are so many places where you can improve the city. Neighborhoods that are from the 70s, they are 50 years old now. Uh, so they still have single glass panes. They have large parking lots where too many cars are standing. So all these buildings have to be upgraded. Also, the mobility system has to change to more sustainable modes. So this is where the big opportunities are. Then you have the brownfield development, like former factory areas that uh, can be uh, developed into mixed-use areas. I think every neighborhood, which is like 30 to 50 years old, offers 
plenty opportunities to um, to develop this kind of ideas without tabula rasa, without uh, demolishing all the buildings, but by strategically choosing locations where you can upgrade or introduce new functionalities. And do you think this needs to come via regulation? I can't see that businesses would want to spend money unless there was an obvious payback. How do you foresee this happening? Yeah, of course, we all know that uh, a lot of changes have to be introduced and taxation is very important in that. There are subsidies for fossil uh, fuel activities like uh, traffic, uh, roads, etc. If we can redesign the tax system to promote the circular economy, a lot of uh, opportunities will arise that within the neighborhoods, which makes these uh, investments very valuable. In some ways, from what you were saying earlier, it may be construed that this is perhaps going backwards, sort of reviving old-fashioned values of repair and reusing and using more local food. For example, the floating farm is very much a local and sustainable project. Do you think, though, people are ready for this approach? Have we got to the stage yet where people realise that air miles on food, the emissions that are involved, do come at a cost, do you think? I think partially, yes. There is an awareness, uh, at least uh, amongst like 25% of the population, which is a crucial number because that's where they can become mainstream. But what is interesting about what you say, aren't we going backwards? I think that people are really interested in a high quality of food without all kinds of preservatives and pure food. And because of the internet and sensor technology and LED technology and the computer and AI, we can re-engineer our cities in a way which is much more sustainable and also much more attractive and, and much more healthy. It's a question of looking at it in the round, isn't it? And getting all those different elements working together to make it work as a whole. Yeah. How do you think you should protect a 15-minute city from rapid growth? Is it a question of increasing the density within that area, so building up rather than out and planning restrictions holding these 15-minute cities together? I think the 15-minute city, I prefer to talk about the micro city, which is the neighborhood. It's a, it's a unit that we can understand because the neighborhoods were designed in the 50s and 60s uh, with a church in the middle and a shopping center. Uh, the church is no longer used and the shopping mall is bankrupt, but these neighborhoods still exist. And it's uh, how can we redevelop those neighborhoods? If you ask about the density, the neighborhood is just one step in the hierarchy of uh, transportation. So if you go, for example, in London to King's Cross, it's very important note where all kinds of train lines come together. So in such an area where you have such extremely well-connected uh, accessibility, I think the density there should be high to make use of that uh, fantastic accessibility. If you go to a neighborhood which is much less connected, it could also be a remote village. I think it's no use to make a high density there. But if you are in a peripheral part of the greater London, which is not very well connected, it's good to make a self-sufficient village out of it, but not a very high density 
city because it's not uh, it's it's no use to to make it really high density there are so many areas in the metropolitan regions around the world that are not used in the right way i think we can we can redevelop so many neighborhoods to have all the people living there that there's no need to create too much density. And do you think the pandemic in some way has helped people look more locally and work harder to form local communities around? Yeah, that absolutely uh, happened, yes. Uh, People talk to each other while walking the dog. I have a dog myself since, uh, since one year. This fantastic dog, I love it. And you see that uh, you have these uh, spontaneous encounters and people also start seeing, well, why don't we improve our neighborhood? So there are lots of uh, initiatives that people take up and thinking is increasing about it. Now, people also, there's a lots of discussions in the Netherlands that people want to have the right to work at least two days a week from home. But a lot of homes are quite small, so it's not attractive to work there. So uh, they are looking for co-working opportunities in the neighborhood, things like that. So a lot of changes are taking place as a result of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Positive changes. Positive changes, absolutely, yeah. So what buildings do you think suit a micro city, to use your preferred term? Going forward, you mentioned that people are looking for co-working spaces. So architects, do you think they're aware of the changes and wishes and desires of populations and working and designing accordingly? I think the uh, architects are not the problem. They are aware of all of this. It's more like the project developers and the uh, civil servants because the the civil servants tend to look at the regulations and try to follow the regulations and if it doesn't comply it's not possible project developers they are looking for proven business cases want to eliminate risk so they always try to imitate something which uh, was uh, successful in the past this is where the collaboration between universities and government uh, research-driven architects comes in place. This is very important to, to really develop this uh, and, and also uh, socially and uh, societally engaged entrepreneurs. I think there are lots of them. Also, there are investors that are looking for green investment opportunities. They still didn't uh, quite discover the opportunities of uh, green urbanism yet. I guess in the next couple of years, uh, there will be much more interest in investing in greening the city. Yeah, I guess you would need an exemplar that works well. So do you have an area or a micro city that you can hold up and say, this works? Well, there are some interesting examples, as I said, when you look at uh, certain aspects. If you look at uh, the mobility system, you can look at uh, Barcelona, what they are doing. And it's it's working, it's efficient, uh, and uh, it improves the city a lot. And do they have a tram system there? Yeah, yeah, the, there is a, not a tram, but a metro. They have a metro system. So when you say it's working, can you just explain a little bit more about that? They are downgrading main roads. You have the Cherda grid, which is the 19th century plan for the extension of the uh, old city of Barcelona to make it suitable for the industrialization. And that grid consists of square blocks. And in between all the blocks, there are roads. 
if you go out of your house, basically you're in the road. What they did now, uh, is a policy they are executing, is to remove two out of three roads. What they do, they combine nine blocks, nine of those square blocks, and eliminate the roads in the middle of it. So that means that you certainly suddenly get much more public space. People start using that space. They sit on a bench, look at playing kids, and discover that it's actually a high quality of life there. People start talking to each other. It's that kind of thing that uh, that is happening. So it's supporting community growth, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And are we seeing now more green spaces put into these areas where roads are being taken out, would you say? Yes, yes. Also in Amsterdam, we already have a long period that um, there are regulations in place that people are allowed to, to remove two tiles of the pavement to create room for uh, for trees or plants, climbing plants, things like that. And now today, creating a nature-inclusive city is one of the main goals of the city government. We do a lot of tenders here in Amsterdam uh, where we try to improve yeah, nature-inclusive uh, city. Uh, which means more birds, more insects, no more pesticides, higher quality of life, not only for people, but also for animals and plants. And also better uh, rainwater collection. And because of the evaporation of the plants, also better temperature during hot summers. So thank you so much today for talking to us. I really enjoyed that conversation and Nav and I learned an awful lot. I hope you have a very enjoyable rest of the day. Thank you for uh, for your time and uh, for the platform. All right. Goodbye. Bye-bye. We welcome your feedback on the podcast, so please aim all your comments to waneditorial at haymarket.com. You can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. So follow Download and join us.